going to consider uh, the very first Passover meal, the very first Passover that's ever been celebrated. That's going to be our focus tonight. But as we start, I really just want to pose a question for you to think about just now. This is the question. Why was the Passover ever necessary? Why was it that the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 12 had to have this big sort of symbolic meal and why did they have to slay a lamb? Do you see the heart of the question? Like, I'm assuming that everyone in here, or nearly everyone, knows the context of this portion of Scripture. People know about what Exodus is going, what's happening in Exodus, don't we? Like, we know that the people of Israel were in exile and captivity amongst the Egyptians in the land of Egypt. And what had God done? God had sent amongst them nine plagues. Hadn't he? Hang on. What did the people of Israel have to do when God sent the plagues? So God sends the flies amongst the people of Egypt. What did the people of Israel do? Nothing. Isn't that right? God sends any one of the nine plagues. God sends a plague of frogs through Egypt and affects all of the people of it affects all of the Egyptians, doesn't it? But what about the people of Israel? They stand back, don't they? And they're not involved in this. They're not affected at all. All of these nine plagues. But what about now? What about the tenth plague? Now it's different, isn't it? God is here sending a destroyer right through the land, right through Egypt. And you see how it's different? This time the people of Israel have to take action. The tenth time it's different. This time the people of God have to act. They've got to engage in the Passover. Do you see why? Here, friends, in Exodus chapter 12, the people of God are guilty too. That's why they have to sacrifice this lamb. You see, we learn in that reading in verse 12... That the problem here is God is judging the Egyptian gods. The problem is idolatry. And later on in the Bible, in the book of Ezekiel, we are told that at this very point here, that's what the people of Israel were doing. They were also engaged in idolatry. So do you see the point I'm making to you? This portion of scripture isn't just about escaping out of slavery and escaping out of Egypt. What's it about? What is the Passover about, friends? It's about escaping the judgment of God on sin. And so, yes, tonight we're going to consider the very first Passover. But do you not think we should do that humbly? Because what do we know? We in here are also sinners, prone to idolatry and in need of a sacrificial lamb. The first thing that I want to draw your attention to in Exodus 12 is a parallel from the Passover. A parallel from the Passover. A parallel from the Passover. And what I want to do in this heading is really just to think about the preparations that are made in this feast. Surely you noticed that. Did you, when Gabriel came up and he read this Passover, did you notice 
how meticulous the people are, or how meticulous God is even, about the preparations that have to be made, about this, everything's got to be right, isn't it? Everything in this Passover, all the detail, everything is meticulous. And I just want to draw your attention to one or two of the details in the preparations here. So first of all, consider with me the principle of substitution that you see here. Would you look at the Bible with me? Look about halfway through verse 3. Halfway through verse 3, and I'll be really generous tonight, and I'll even tell you what I want you to see in verse 3. If you look about halfway through, do you notice there is this great divine emphasis on proportionality? Do you notice that? What does God say? He says, every man has got to take a lamb. And then it carries on. He says, again, you know, it's got to be according to the father's house. Proportionality, equivalence. Then it carries on again. And it is a lamb for each household. So you see the idea. What are the people not to do? Don't think of it for a second as though it's random. It's not, all right, let's get some lambs together, kill the lambs, throw the blood. It's, it's not like that. It's not random. It's not miscellaneous just to get things. It's, it's not like that at all. It is one lamb for a man. It is one lamb for his household. And friends, I am sure if you're a Christian tonight, you see why that is. What is happening here is the principle of substitution. These lambs here are standing in the very place of the people of Israel. These lambs are being brought in to represent the people of Israel. That the only way that the people of Israel will escape the anger, the judgment, the wrath of God is if a substitute for them can be found. So we see that. We see this, a lamb for a man, a lamb for his household. It's a substitute but then notice also, we see here the principle of perfection. Um, do you love it? I love it when there are links in sermons. I love this. You, you see the, the idea I'm talking about here? Perhaps we'll have one minister in the morning and he will preach a sermon with a particular theme. And then another minister will come in at night, or an elder will be preaching at night, and they haven't got their heads together, but the same theme will be evident in both. You know, do you like that? A link in a sermon. I love that. You know, these coincidences that, that seem to happen. Do you not think there's a little bit of that going on here? Because if you were here a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning, do you remember that God was angry? Malachi chapter 1. Remember, God was angry. Now, do you remember the cause of the divine anger? It was inappropriate sacrifices, wasn't it? Remember what the people did? They offered to God blind animals and lame animals and so forth, didn't they? Yes? Well, isn't that same theme evident here? Look at verse 5. Now, what does God say these lambs have to be? They have to be, he says, without blemish. That's part of it. And they have to be a year old. So they have to be in the absolute prime of their life. Do you see it? In order for these lambs to be effective, in order for these lambs to placate the wrath of God, what did they have to be? They had to be perfect. They had to be, Why? Because ours is a holy God, and a holy God can only accept flawless sacrifices for sin. So you're with me. Is, is a picture not building up here? You have a principle of substitution. You then have a picture of perfection. 
in the Passover, but then we have the third one, the principle of identification. And this is my favourite. This I find fascinating. And I hope you'll walk with me, please, through this. I, I find this fascinating. What do we know? We know from verse 3, God tells the men, the fathers, take a lamb. What have they got to do with it? In verse 3. God says, take the lamb into your house. Okay. Now what day, in verse 3, are they told to do that? They're told to do that on the tenth day. Then, in verse 6, we read this. God says to the men, you've taken the lamb in, and God says, you keep that lamb until the fourteenth day. Now isn't that strange? I mean, God is telling these people not to kill a lamb immediately, but he's telling these people, take the lamb into your home. And keep it there for four full days. Keep the lamb with you in the family, in the house. For four. And I, I tell you, I have wrestled with this and I wondered about this. And it, it not quite kept me up at night, but not far from it. And I wrestled with it and wrestled with it. And I think, got it. Because do you know what I did this week? I tried to imagine myself and Catherine and the kids as the part of the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 12. You see what I mean? I try to put Catherine, myself, the kids just there. What would it have been like? What would that have been like? And then the penny dropped. Because consider the girls. I mean, can you imagine what they would be like if all of a sudden I took this beautiful, fluffy, one-year-old lamb into the house that would for green? Can you imagine? The deacon's court would not be happy about this. But the girls, can you imagine? The girls, a one-year-old lamb. And they're going to love it. And they're going to be chasing after it and playing with it. And they're going to be feeding the lamb. We might love it as well. Do you see the point? Why does God have the lamb come in for these days? So that the people would identify with this lamb. Do you see it? God says, take the lamb, bring it into your home so that there will be the sense of belonging here, the sense of identification. And you can see it, can't you? This lamb would be, by this stage, part of the family, wouldn't it? It would be one of them. And if you see that, surely you see now why, why tonight we're looking at the Passover. Maybe you're asking that, thinking, out of the blue, Exodus, why? Because surely we see Christ here. Don't we, friends? And if you're a Christian, you put all those pieces of the jigsaw together, then you stand back and admire what God has done. What has Christ done for you, Christian friend? He has identified with you. Oh, don't you praise God for it? I mean, what, is it, what has Christ done as he's come into the world and, and become man, taken flesh to himself? What, he's entered your home. And he's become like one of us. Isn't that the emphasis of the baptism? He is identified with sinful men. What else has Christ done? What do you see when you look at the cross? You see a willing, but you see a perfect sacrifice for sin. At last. Like a flawless, 
sinless, perfect, that one now acceptable to God, you see. And then what is the pinnacle of it all? What is it that brings up from the depth praise to God? What is it? Those two words, Christ died there for you. It was a substitutionary sacrifice. You understand that, do you not? You, Christian friend, do not deserve this. You were hostile to God. You were sinful, deserving of hell. And what has Christ done? He's gone where you should have been. He has taken your place. He has stood where you should have stood. Friends, that there is a lamb for us. It is a lamb for you. You see why we're in Exodus 12, do you not? It enables me to declare tonight, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The second thing we see here though, is the promise or a promise from the Passover. I'm sure you can probably appreciate this. We're talking about ministers a lot today and, and preaching and so forth. I'm sure you can appreciate that some sermons are easier to write for a minister than others. Everyone, I'm sure, can appreciate that sort of idea. It very rarely happens to me. But sometimes, you know, you can open the Bible and it's almost like a sermon kind of falls out of the Bible. You know, very rarely. I'm not sure if I can ever remember it actually happening, but... Uh, it, you you start, you read the passage and you read it and you read it and you read it and it's almost like God just gives you the theme and the, the headings, the application, the illustrations. It's all there. And more often than not, you'll appreciate it's not kind of like that. And very often it's time and it's effort and it's blood, sweat and tears and it's a lot of prayer. Uh, I'm just going to be honest with you. This portion of scripture, I find very difficult to preach. And I'll tell you why, but it's for a very positive reason in a way. There's so much here, isn't there? And in Exodus 12, you know it, every phrase, every word is just pregnant with, with meaning, isn't it? And in the Passover feast, that is especially true when we move from the preparations that had to be made to the actual fact of the killing of the lamb and what happens after they have killed this lamb. So I just want to do what I've just done and I want to show you some details of what they do with this dead lamb now. Okay? And the first thing you've got to see is that they sprinkle his blood. Now look at that at verse 7, please. Even the boys and girls, you can have a wee look at verse 7. So the lamb has been killed, incidentally, at twilight. Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that that was usually three o'clock at the very time we know, of course, that our Lord died upon the cross. So the Passover lamb is slain here. What happens, though? Do you notice in verse 7? It's almost like they paint the blood, don't they? They put it on the sides of the door and they put it on the lintel on the top of the door and that again if I was talking earlier on about a detail that sort of bamboozled me I find that or I have found that a very difficult detail do you see the detail I'm talking about they put blood on the door frame now why what is this called this is the Passover 
the Passover. You see the logistical problem here. Like there is a destroyer to be sent into to this land of Egypt. And the destroyer is to pass over the people. The, pass, the, the destroyer does not go, it's not passed through. The destroyer does not go through streets. The destroyer passes over the people. So do you see the logistical problem? Where would you expect the blood to be administered? I, for one, expect the blood to be put on the roof. You see, the, God passing over the people. It's not. It is administered to the door. Do you see why? That blood is to be administered not just so that God shall see it. The blood is administered so that the Egyptians will see the blood. Friends, do you see what is happening? Do you see what God is demanding here? God is demanding that his people take a stand. That in light of the slaying of the blood, they stand out. That they declare in administering the blood, we are the people of the blood. We are the people covered by the blood. And I say to you as the congregation in London, do you not find that an challenge to us? I mean, are we not we spoken to here? I mean, what is it that you and I are supposed to do now in light of the cross and the fact that the great lamb has been slain for us? You see what we're supposed to do? We are also to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. God demands our openness as Christians, we are not to hide our lamp under a bushel. We too, in our cities, our communities, amongst our colleagues, we are to declare, I am covered by the blood. We, London City Presbyterian Church, are people of the blood. So they sprinkle the blood. But then, you can't help but have noticed the haste. Surely, nod, you noticed... The haste, did you not, in the Passover? I mean, think about it. God even gives cooking instructions, doesn't he? In verse 8, the people are told to roast the lamb and not to boil it. Why does God give cooking instructions? If you're a cook, maybe you know exactly what the reason is, do you? Why? Because it's quicker. Roast it. Get it cooked. Haste. Then do you notice it's very explicit. He says to his people, eat the lamb with haste. Don't be like toddlers. Don't, don't be picking at your food. Don't take ages to eat this. God's saying, get it eaten now. And even if you don't notice the urgency there, answer me this question. Do me that. What do they wear? When they eat. How are they attired when they eat the Passover feast? Is anyone reading the King James Version? We've got that very famous phrase at this point in Exodus chapter 12. What does the King James Version say? They girded up their loins. You see it? What they had to do was tuck their tunic into their belt so that they can make a sharp exit. So I'm asking you, why the haste? Like, why all of this urgency? Do you see the answer? Because God was coming. God could arrive at any time. The judgment of God. 
God and sin was about to arrive. There must be haste. There must be urgency. And again, London City Presbyterian Church, if you're a Christian, surely you see that there's a message in that for you tonight. Would you listen to this? Isn't it true that as Christians, we can take our eyes off the horizon very quickly? Do you see what I mean? That very quickly we can lose sight of what is ahead and what is coming. We lose our eyes, we bring them down, and we focus only on the present. Don't we? Is that what you're doing tonight? Not thinking about what is to come spiritually to us, but thinking only about the present problems and trials that you're going through, all the misery. Thinking about, and do you see the message here? What is God saying? In light of the slain lamb, do as the people do. That there must be in the way we live a readiness to go. There must be in the way that we live a watchfulness. That the people of God should always be prepared. Because what do we know? Lift your eyes to the horizon. What's coming? God is coming. Christ Jesus is soon to return. And the judgment of all of the earth will follow on behind. So there's a sprinkling of the blood, isn't there, with the lamb? There's all of this haste. And then it comes to what I, I rejoice in God for this next detail. It's my favorite detail of the whole lot. Because look at the pledge that God makes in verse 13. Now would you all look at it and read it with me? Look at these words. They will do your soul all manner of good. Look at verse 13. What is the promise God makes? He says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, read on, and no plague will befall you. And do you see, Christian friend, what you're being taught and reminded there? You're being reminded of the great efficacy of blood. The fact that what our God does is look at the blood, the lifeblood of a correct and appropriate offering. And what happens? Listen to the words. His anger is satisfied. He looks on the lifeblood of an offering. And that anger goes. There is a propitiation. His anger is turned away. He looks at the lifeblood and his wrath is placated. And if you're a Christian tonight, what do you know? That is the cornerstone of our faith, isn't it? That's the pinnacle. Because what is true for us? That the Lord Jesus Christ has laid down his life. And in his lifeblood, that he is the son of God. What is true? That these things are eternally appropriate for us. That friends, because the son of God has died, the Lord God himself looks on at the blood. And we are assured of everlasting salvation. I can say to you tonight, if you are united to the great Passover lamb by faith, God is no longer angry with you. His wrath to you, toward you, is satisfied. It is placated. It is gone forever. If you're a Christian struggling for joy, listen again to what God says. He looks at Calvary and says... I have seen the blood. I have passed over you and no plague will upon you fall. You are saved in Christ and saved evermore.
And then we're just going to end with the or a prohibition. We've seen a parallel, a promise, and a prohibition. You noticed, I hope, that the Passover is not a once uh, an only event. Did you notice that? that? That God here commands the people to commemorate this annually. Every year there must be a Passover. In fact, if you noticed in verse 14... God actually establishes a week-long festival called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You've got the idea that on the first day of the week, there is the Passover. And then the subsequent days of the week, there's all this uh, festivity and celebration in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, in light of that, I think it would be legitimate tonight if we we could spend time thinking about remembrance Like if God is telling these people to commemorate that Passover every year, and if the Lord Jesus Christ has turned the Passover into the Lord's Supper, what do we as Christians know? That a Bible-based church must regularly and faithfully commemorate the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. There must be faithful, regular celebration, commemoration of the cross. We could focus on that. But I'm just going to close with a feature of this celebration. (laughs) What's the... Boys and girls, what is the feast called? Did you notice? Feast of unleavened bread. Friends, look at verse 15. Notice with me. How many times God commands his people to remove leaven in light of the Passover. Verse 15, listen to what he says. You shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall remove leaven. Okay, we're saying, what are we saying? You can imagine the people of God saying, right, okay, we get it. Okay, no leaven. You don't want us to have leaven. God carries on. For if anyone eats anything that is leavened, that person is going to be cut off. So the people of Israel are like, what? Okay, we get the message. You don't want any, you don't want us to have any leaven. You know, the active ingredient that makes bread rise. We get the idea, God, then, verse 16, God says, you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. Like, he's saying again, we've got the message. Verse 18, God says, you shall eat unleavened bread. Verse 19, no leaven is to be found in your houses. Verse 20, you shall eat nothing at all that is in any way unleavened. So it's as clear as day, is it not? I mean, God could not be clearer in Exodus chapter 12. No leaven. You must not have any leaven. And so what do we ask? We look at that and we say, why? Why? Why no leaven? All it does is raise bread when you cook it. Why no leaven? Now maybe, maybe you see part of the reason. Isn't it haste part of the reason? Do you think so? The fact that, well, if you put the leaven in the bread, it's going to take longer and they've got to eat with this urgency and haste. That's part of it. Nobody in here believes that's all. Do you? That can't be it. It must be more to it than that. And then, then, hear this. Listen. 
throughout the entirety of God's word. Leaven is a symbol and it is a sign. Throughout all of God's word, leaven stands for the transgression of God's law. Are you hearing me? In scripture, leaven stands for sin. What does Paul say later on? A little leaven leavens the whole loaf. A little bit of sin renders us defiled before God. It stands for sin. Leaven stands for sin. And now, oh, oh, now we understand the challenge that is before us tonight. Do you hear what God is saying to you? In light of the slaying of this Passover lamb at the cross of Christ, what are we to do? We, as his people, are to rid ourselves of sin. Isn't that what God is drumming into us here time and time and time again? With gratitude for the Passover, for gratitude for the cross. We are to rid our homes and our lives and ourselves of the leaven of sinfulness and wickedness. And I do want to make that very specific for you tonight. Christian friends, is there obvious sin that is in your life? Routines and patterns of sinfulness. Is that, is that, are you watching on your computer or your TV and your phone stuff that you know you should not be watching? Are you in a relationship just now that you know in your heart of hearts is displeasing? To the Lord your God. Is there patterns in your temperament that need to be addressed? Are you simply drinking too much? Well, hear what scripture says to you. This is the apostle Paul. Cleanse out the old leaven. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And I end with a phrase. Um, you've heard this phrase. You know the phrase, you can't see the wood for the trees. Everyone knows that phrase? Can't see the wood for the trees. Isn't that the danger in Exodus 12? There's a lot of details. There's a lot of stuff going on. Is it the case tonight that we can't see the wood for the trees? Because what is one of the major themes here? Listen, God is coming in judgment. Isn't that one of the major themes of the Passover? And perhaps tonight, you're not believing and reconciled to God. I want to reiterate what I said at the start. You are guilty before him. Guilty. We're all guilty by our nature. We're separated from God and we are, outside of Christ, destined to face that wrath and anger and judgment. Do you know what I'm going to say to you? think you do gird up your loins tuck your tunic and your belt and run tonight to the Lord Jesus Christ go to him he is the only one who will provide protection from this listen his blood is sufficient it's sufficient come to Christ tonight be saved behold the Lamb of God and rejoice in the salvation that he holds out to you tonight. Let's pray.
Gracious Father, we thank you that all of Scripture is to edify us. We thank you that you give us such great historical pictures, events that are real and are true, but in your great wisdom events that point us to what you have done in the gospel. And so we do thank you for the Lamb who's been slain for us. We thank you that you look upon the blood you pass over us and no plague shall upon us fall. And we thank you for that promise and for the Savior who has won it for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.